In today's episode, you will meet Gene Johnson, the founder and CEO of Prism Renderings. You will learn how Gene was inspired to start her own company as a way to balance her professional and family commitments. In doing so, she has grown her company over the past 16 years by building a team made up of all working moms. Thank you for being here today, coming in to the office and agreeing to be on the podcast. Thank you, Chris. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, so let's get started with, you know, you've got the company that you built, Prism Renderings. Tell us what inspired you to start the company. Well, actually, it's very simple. Well, I was working in architecture. It's very demanding as an architecture professional. I have two boys, five and eight years old at the time, and I was just struggling between motherhood and my career at the time management. So I want to do something related to my training, architecture, design, and also just have that flexibility to raise my voice. That's how I started and then the you, business. <laughs> you just took, took a risk to start your own business. Yes, I had no training, business training. I just feel there's a need in the industry and I have the resources and the training to start a service. So that's why I started. I actually, I went to school, got my MBA at the same time. Just, after starting the business? Yes, wow. right after. So when you kind of jumped out on your own to start Prism, I guess, what did you hope the company would be or become? Actually, I wish I can say that I have a vision to build a team and have a thriving business today, but I didn't. For me, it was very simple. It's like a lifestyle business. It's just have a vehicle to help me balance motherhood and have a career. So that's, it was very simple, but it evolved over the years since then. And you mentioned your training in architecture. I guess what led you into that as a, uh, I guess, a d degree first and then a career? Yeah, well, so my parents are structural engineers. So I grew up in China in the, this big architecture engineer company. I literally grew up over there. Went to their work every day after school. That's how I get into architecture. That's what, what I knew. And I had finished my degrees. I went to graduate school after my got my bachelor's degree and went to graduate school, work there for a couple of years before I came over. So, you know, having this business is because at the time also, you know, the reason I got into this specific business is that we always have a trouble, you know, to find a quality service provider in 3D architecture visualizations. Unlike architecture firms, engineer firms, you always have that, you know, depending on what you're looking for in the market sector, you have, you always have somebody, you know, pointed to, you know, this, those handful, you know, firms that specialize in this, you know, service, right? But in architecture 3D, visualization service, there's no market leader, there's no, you know, sustainable business that you can go to. So that's why I saw the need of this, uh, you know, just very trusted, you know, provide a service provider that I can be one. So it's a good segue. So <laughs> I think you covered, be specific in what exactly does Prism Renderings <laughs> do? Yes. 
So we help commercial real estate developers and brokers to preview their vision with their stakeholders before the building gets built. It's very difficult for people to visualize what the building or site development look like, right? Just it's most people are visual. So, you know, we are helping them basically to get a fundraising for investors package or go to the city, get a zoning approval, or sometimes it's for leasing purpose, pre-leasing purpose. That's what we do. Okay. So as you were saying, you saw kind of a gap or a void in the market where you felt like a firm that's focused on this type of service could make an impact. Yes, it's definitely bring a tremendous value to the you know, developers. Sometimes it's institutions too. You know, for example, we help a big hospital to put together this marketing video to showcase their you know future expansion. So they were able to raise the enough funding to start a, you know the project for you know, much sooner. No. You shared with us that you started the company company somewhat out of personal need or desire, but that has changed and evolved over time to where at some point, I guess you saw a opportunity to actually build a company. Tell me, I guess, how did that evolve? What was it that kind of triggered that vision for you that you actually had something that you could build and grow? Well, it was wise. I started hiring when we grew in terms of the number of projects and I was not able to do that myself. So my first two hires are, one is from my church, same Bible study class, and the other one is my previous, from previous client firm. And make me realize that they're both moms, working moms, make me realize that this business have really provided me opportunity to have that balance. And I want to do the same for other working moms. And that's how it all started. So all team members are working moms. And even today, and that's my mission now is to not just helping more clients to help them to you know make their business and projects successful, but also helping more working moms as we grow. And yeah, that's that's my second why. <laughs> that, so when you think about what you've done building Prism Renderings as a company dedicated to helping working moms, anything you're doing or have done along the way that you feel like was innovative for any company or one in the engineering architectural world? Well, for us, we are totally a virtual team. So we all working from home office. Although we, we do have a co-working space, we hardly go there. Most of our clients want us to visit them. They are busy architects or developers. And if we do have client meetings, we will go to there. But we do get together. Most of us are in Houston. So we do get together, celebrate birthdays holidays and work anniversaries so we do have face-to-face time and so what were you doing i guess to keep the team together as it grew before everyone in this world had heard of zoom 
we were zooming before before everybody else. So we do have from very start we do have weekly meetings, video at the time before Zoom we do video weekly meetings. That's very important for us to keep in touch with each other. We also use Teams as a platform. So we actually communicate very frequently um, on Teams in terms of communication. We always celebrate. We get a new project. Everybody knows about it. It was somebody we got a really good clients, you know, feedback. We always share with the team. So we've been very intentional to keep everybody informed right. about what's going on. And also we do have open book policy. Uh, in terms of our financials, so we are very open to that. Everybody knows how companies doing right now. Number of project, number of you know our revenue, number of new clients, existing clients. We track that every week, so everybody is aware. Even though we are not working in the same office, but we are very close. Okay. So then, how would you describe the culture at Prism? Yeah. Well, I think our culture is very supportive, friendly, and empathetic. We're just a very supportive group. You know, we're always, I always say family first. <laughs> if you have a sick kid or something happened in the, at the family, you go take care of your family. They also will step up and fill in the gap. So this is a very, very close-knit group. That, you know, sounds great it explains to me how you've been able to grow this company and keep a team together help me or help the listeners understand what have, what are some of the challenges you face as the ceo in fostering a culture like that that, that seems very family oriented very cohesive yet you've done it from day one virtual what are some of the challenges that you faced in fostering that culture and what are some of the things maybe you've done that you think have helped you enhance it well, I think the biggest, biggest, biggest change I made over the years is to have that one-on-one, weekly one-on-one calls with each team members. And we talk about everything from 30 minutes to one hour. We always start with family. I'm a firm believer that, you know, your family life in your career is just so intertwined. It, you can't separate, you know, them. So I want to make sure that I do my best to support them on the personal and in addition to their professional career you know, goals and needs. So that really helps me to understand where they come from, you know, their frustrations, their wins, their challenges, just everything, right? So just keep that open dialogue in the, on a weekly basis. Obviously, we also talk between that, but that's... A specific time, you know, I just I put aside and I just put everything else aside just for you, hundred percent. I think that was for me is a key factor to keep that. It certainly communicates that you're invested in them and that you yes. care about them. Yes, I do deeply. <laughs> Has have there been any unique challenges for you running the company, given the past two years and the pandemic that hit? I mean, obviously your team was already working remote, so that wasn't a problem. Right. But what about any unique challenges that, that you've had to deal with as a result of that? Well, so it's interesting that 2019, I read a book about Rock the Recession. I don't know if you heard of that book. It's just 
because in the entrepreneur, you know, circle, we always talk about, you know, we have a, this good economy for years. You know, what's coming, right? right. Everybody is guessing what's next. It's what's around the corner? Yeah, what's around the corner? And so I just happened to learn about the book, and as I read the book in 2019, I started to look at the business and really, just, you know, we. The 2020 budget is just very lean and mean in in terms of operation cost expenses, and so walking into 2020 when COVID hit, it was not panic, it was concern for sure. Sure. And I think my concern was cash flow. Right. We have a sizable AR, and I was we were concerned that maybe our clients, because of the uncertainty, they might be holding the cash, you know, not paying those uh, AR, you know, that could cost. But right. because the preparation we did in 2019, including we get a good size of line of credit. And even we didn't touch it, but that gave us a peace of mind. And then the, the, the essence of that book is about, you know, how you prepare yourself in those, um, you know, crisis, not just the, you know, recession, but also, you know, you lose a major client or you lose a major vendor, you know, those kind of challenges and how you prepare yourself to, you know, overcome that. So we just almost, we already got first gear, you know, before, you know, (laughs) face that impact. So that's that. And also we, I know I told you we have open book policy and uh, during COVID, the first thing I did is even open the checkbook. So basically everybody knows how much money we have. I want to make sure everybody is, you know, there's no panic. I think when I, I work as a W-2 employees before, mm. and I went through some of those downtime, slow time, I remember that a lot of people are concerned about their losing their jobs. Sure. It was very unsettling. So when I start hiring my team members, I first thing I was like, I will do my very best to prevent that ever happening. So I always feel tremendous responsibility to you know, just make sure if they like the job, they will have the job. They will have the paycheck, right? Right. So that's the one thing I am just very open to the team. This is what we have. If we don't get a project, this how this is the wrong way we will have for, you know, doing the slow time. So it just, the whole time, just constantly communicate with our team. And that's, that really helps everybody just have that peace of mind. It seems like you're a shining example of the power of consistent, transparent communication inside of a company and how employees will respond to that and reward you by being dedicated to the company and your clients, right? I have a, I'm just, you know, I have a one employee right after I had a team meeting, told them, you know, we're not going to lay off anybody that, you know, we have enough cash to keep everybody. We're not going to cut a, you know, salary until, you know, there's something happen later, but just let them know what's going to happen every step if something, you know, if it's situation get worse. So I have a team member come back very next day, tell me that I'm, I please, you know, I want to help, you know, I can cut my salary, you know, a certain percentage and, but I still work the same hours and, I mean, even there's. I mean, obviously, I told her that you know, there's no need for that. But it just 
for her to step up and doing that, she's like, you know, you always sacrifice and, you know, yourself and for this business, I want to be part of that. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I think you see your story about reading the book in 19 and, and kind of already having a plan in place. To me, one of the things that that highlights is the need for a, for anyone really, but especially a leader in a company to always be learning and continuing that learning journey. It sounds like that you know, was a key element for you leading into the pandemic. Yes, I would say that. We have a learning culture as well. What other things do you do then to kind of continue to grow as a leader in learning and you know, staying abreast of trends and things? What are some of the things that you do personally? I'm being, I've been part of this community for over six years now. And I joined Collective 54. It's a great, like, top-notch community for professional service companies. In the meantime, I'm a big podcast fan. Okay. You know, <laughs> I listen to a lot of podcasts and learning so much from podcasts and resources even get from podcasts. And I'm a you know, big reader as well. I love reading books. So, I mean, for me, is I always have that thirst yeah. To for you know, knowledge and just different resources and you know to be resourceful. That's great. Yeah. What kind of through that learning? How would you describe your leadership style or leadership yeah. philosophy? Servant leadership. I'm a firm believer of that. It's it's really just out outward. It's, you know, really, I always put myself whenever I face my team members. I always put myself into that, I'm at the other side, right? If I were in her shoes or in her position, how my leader can make me, you know, effective in terms of make my work better and, you know, more effective. So I'm just be, you know, supportive, coach, like a coach, a mentor, and, you know, just find out what they need. I'm trying my best every week. I ask them, you know, what is your goal this week and how I can help you okay. to achieve that goal. So that's my leadership did, style. Did you have any mentors or do you have mentors now that you, know, that you have learned from along the way and continue to lean on? Well, I consider a lot of people, they don't know me, but I consider them mentors <laughs> just by read their books and listen to. Sure. And But going back, I think, you know, my parents is a, a great example for my, as my mentor. My dad is just, he was an engineer, but he's very resourceful. He has a huge network. Even back then, it was not, a, you know, um, in China, everything owned by government. Right. And he always have that drive to help with his clients, even though everybody's government owned, to save the, you know, save their, you know, help them be, you know, be safe. I mean, he designed buildings and structures. So not only, you know, the best structures he can, you know, design, but also help them to save the, you know, their budget. He can, he just made a lot of great friends along the way. And that helps me to be that relational, you know, driven. And my mom is very caring and she's an engineer, but she's just very personal, very caring. And I think, you know, both of them just great examples for me. Yeah. Sounds like you've taken the qualities from both, right? <laughs> Merge them together. I do. <laughs> That's great. Yes. What, so, you know, you stepped out and like most entrepreneurs at some point, you step out on your own and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe 
not knowing what you were going to do, but you felt like it was the only thing you could do. What are some of the lessons you've learned and that you would share with a, an aspiring entrepreneur or business owner to say, you know, if you're going to go step out on your own and pursue your passion, here are two or three things you should keep in mind in doing so. Anything that you could share along those lines? I think everybody has blind spots, you know? <laughs> so, so true. <laughs> yeah, so I would just be open. I wish I'd do this earlier. I was just put my heads down, you know, first few years and work, you know, provide the best service to my clients. At the time, I have no idea what's out there. And so find a group, a community of you know, engineer, entrepreneurs, and just learn from them. I highly recommend the book by Jay Abraham. He's, like, he's the, one of the best marketer. And I read, that's the first book I read when I hired a business coach. And he, that was my homework. What was the name of that book? Getting Everything You Can Out of All You Have. Something is a long, okay. you know, but I think the main lesson from that book is, you know, he, Jay Abraham, he served, I mean, he helped like over a thousand businesses in 400 different industries. So the main lesson I learned from that book is that every industry have their own way to do things. Right. So if you are in the vestige, that you have a cross learning from each industry. And sometimes one industry, their typical you know, way to do things could be innovation to another business you know, in a different industry. Right. So I'm always have that, you know, after that I read that book, I pretty much highlight everything on that book. <laughs> it was pretty, my marketing strategy, everything is from that book. And it's just since then, I've been very open-minded to listen to other business owners, you know, story or journey or, you know, best practice, even they're not in my industry. And I'm trying to, you know, incorporate those into our business along the way. So that that's a recommendation. Another one is Profit First. It's, you probably heard about that book. Like, um, my luck, McCallowes. <laughs> it's hard to say his last name, but he has like about seven, eight books. It's all really good for small businesses. But Profit First is the one that really help you to organize your business financials in a way that it's really behavior focused. It's it it just also changed our business as well. Very good, though. No. Yeah. <laughs> What you said a minute ago, I think, so true about how you can learn from other industries, uh-huh. what they're doing, how they're successful, and at least think through, how can I apply that to my business or my industry? It may need to be modified or tweaked, but there's, you can you know, always learn from others. Yes. So we talked about a lot of things. One of the things I always like to ask about, and any setbacks along the way that you know you tried one thing or went one direction, it didn't work out, but you learned and grew from it. And could you share that experience and what the learning was? Well, quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> if I have to pick one, I would say, say no, learn to say no. Mm-hmm. And I think we are a group of very caring, you know, working moms. We always want people pleaser, you know, we want to help everyone. I think at the beginning, we just basically take any clients, we come to our way and we want to help everybody. 
And I think that's you know we took some detour on that on that direction. So now we're much more clear. You know who can we can help the best, provide the most value too. So yeah, just learn to say no. That's a that's not only a. Good one. It's an important one because, especially in a new business, you're scared to say no because you're so desperate for revenue coming in. So you can right. actually keep the doors open. And right. You can say yes to some wrong things that that could hurt the business. Yeah. So that is great advice there. I think that you tell. We talked about you know saying no now and listening to your people. Any other advice you'd give to a aspiring entrepreneur about you know? words to live by or any kind of parting advice in that regard? Oh, well, I I read the book about conscious capitalism. I yes. probably you, yeah. And I just think as entrepreneur, you are not just, you know, start a business and make profit, which is important. You need of course. to be to have a sustainable business. However, just having take care of the your stakeholders, you know, not just your clients, your employees, your you know vendors, your consultant, just everybody that you know involved with your community, right? And for us, our clients make a big you know impact in our community, right? They develop you know really well you know designed communities in the in in us. We want to be able to just help them you know to realize their vision, and so. For me, is just not just look at the profit, but also all the stakeholders. How we can help each other and to just become a much more well-rounded and you know community. It's great advice and so important because it, it in the pursuit of profit that can be lost sometimes. It can. So let's uh, let's turn to some lighter stuff. So, what was your first job? Well, my first job. I don't know if it's considered first job, but first paycheck. So I was in China. I graduated from my architecture, you know, school, and I went straight to graduate school. At the time, there's very few people can get into graduate school, so it's considered a job. Okay. Oh, as well. So I start get paid to go to graduate school, not paying tuition, but you know, get paid to. So I do need to teach. A class each semester to you know, but that's my first you know job. You were a teacher. <laughs> As a, I'm, I was a teacher and also a student. <laughs> Very good. How long have you been in Texas? Almost thirty January. Okay. Only thirty years. Wow. So you're here long enough to have an opinion. Do you like <laughs> Tex-Mex or barbecue? Well, I like Tex-Mex. Okay. I like the variety of Tex-Mex. I love barbecue as well. I love、uh, you know, but I'm getting. To this age, I can't eat too much barbecue, right? <laughs> well, or Tex-Mex for that matter. <laughs> yeah, well, you can get a little lighter. Not like we used to, right? <laughs> yes. Oh,、uh, that's great. What do you like to do for your hobbies? I love dancing. Just I was a dancer when I was、uh, in from my elementary school, you know, years. I just love dancing. I wish I could be a professional dancer, but I don't have that talent. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I just love as a hobby. Very. So you still dance now? I still dance. You know, go to dancing class classes every week, and also love you know, travel as well. Okay. But well, <laughs> thank the dancing. What a great yeah,、outfit. yeah. It's just a, totally you can put everything you know out of your mind. Just enjoying the moment, enjoying the music, enjoying the movement. Yeah, that's my hobby. So you mentioned travel.、Yeah. So where's your next bet? Where will your next big trip be? 
Italy. Well, so many people <laughs> say Italy. <laughs> oh, you're no, already no, it's scheduled. It's okay. scheduled. Yeah, we're going back to Italy. And I like both. Um, if I, you know, get to pick, I know you were asking questions about if you have one month. So oh yeah, go, yeah. Right. I will have two month, two weeks in Florence. Just look at architecture, history. You know, just husband, in Florence. Yeah, because my husband is also so we just love Florence. And then the other half is the Scotland. Okay. Isle of, you know, sky. I just love the nature, hiking, and so just have. So if I have a month, uh, you know. Away from work, I'll just spend half of his time exploring, you know, cultural and architecture, history. The other half is just nature immersed. Very good. <laughs> That's great. Well, Jane, thanks so much for coming on. Your story is so inspiring. It's just really good to get to hear it and learn how you've built a very unique company with working moms. Thank you, Chris, for having me. All right, take care. <laughs> Thank you.